This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, you guys in for a treat. I have a guest all the way from Cameroon, <laughs> Candace Mbusek. I she's gonna grace us. She is the queen of consulting. If you look on just Google her name, you're gonna see from Harvard, Stanford, they all know her name. She's in Europe right now in a big position that I'm gonna let you stalk her and kind of find that out because we're gonna talk about everything she's done in consulting. Black Roses and the mentoring and just get the game on how a young woman, a young woman from Cameroon, and I know she was born in France, people, but we're going to represent Cameroon because she grew up there, how she got on a global platform of consulting. That's not an easy thing to do. So, Candice, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ken. I'm super excited. And, I, and seeing your jersey and your flag makes me feel at home like never. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it's our jersey. You know, it's like we say, our daughter, our daughter, our, our, our wife, <laughs> it, 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 it's ours. So, you know, give the people, especially in English, because I have a lot of what you've done in media is in French, and that's okay. We, you know, for us in America, we're going to say, but we don't understand. So, you know, how does someone like you go from France to Africa, to Asia, to America, and just be respected as a consultant? Amazing. Um, thank you so much for that question. So I was born in France, but basically basically raised in Cameroon. Like I don't have many memories of life before Cameroon, to be honest. Um, I was raised there. I went to university there. I did a bachelor in law, and uh, I started my career in Ivory Coast, Côte d'Ivoire, West Africa, uh, in Abidjan. Uh, trying to, I had an internship in the field of, of law and quickly realized that as much as I wanted to use my voice for change, I wasn't meant to be a lawyer, at least not on the corporate side. I was more excited by the sales aspect and business aspect of things. So I got the chance to be recruited by someone, by a company that was working with uh, the company I was interning with. So they hired me for a temporary job that happened to become permanent. That was my official footstep in the field of sales. I quickly um, hit a glass ceiling, um, which made me realize that I probably need to go back to school and get a proper business degree instead of trying to hustle with my law degree that wasn't in use anymore. And that is how I relocated to France to join a business school uh, in France, basically. Um, and it was the beginning of my international career. One of the reasons why I also left uh, Ivory Coast to France it was that I was in an abusive relationship and having that opportunity to leave was also a way of just getting me out of the situation in a constructive way. So not just run away and go back to my parents or whatever the case is, but just strategize, leave and build a better future for myself. So 
moving to France for that business school allowed me to start working for international corporations such as L'Oreal, um, work on different consulting projects until I, I landed a permanent job as a consultant in a French company specialized in emerging markets. Uh, that being said, while I was still doing my MBA on the side since 2011, I have been working as a freelance coach, basically coaching students who wanted to join a prestigious business school and coaching also young professionals who wanted to figure out the best way to portray themselves during interviews because I was rather good at that. So I always had that, I would say, double life, which on one side, the corporate consultant with a suit, uh, the PowerPoint and all that. And on the other side, the coach that is cheering on for, uh, cheering for his client, making them more confident, helping them to build a narrative, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, while I was uh, still in France, actually, uh, I got the opportunity to work on a mission, um, on a series of missions uh, in, in Asia, basically between Singapore and China. But that was thanks to a partnership that my business school had with a consulting firm uh, in the region. So I lived, uh, that was in 2011. So I lived in Singapore and, do, and did some trips here and there uh, in the region, which was super exciting and a good break from <laughs> from the life in Paris that was a little bit difficult as a person of color. And um, thankfully, uh, while working as a consultant, I went back to Paris, had that job as a consultant. While working as a consultant, I was approached by a headhunter to go and run an e-commerce company in Cameroon that at the time was called KMU and became Jumia Market, basically uh, the first e-commerce company at that scale uh, to have operation in, in Cameroon. And that's how actually my visibility online started. Uh, a lot of interviews, collaboration with the government, um, corporate social activities as well, mentoring people, mentoring youth, entrepreneurs, women, all those kind of things. However, while I was running that company with all the advantages and pressure that comes with being a, 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 a business manager, basically, I realized that I truly was missing the knowledge sharing of my work as a coach. And I was dreaming of the moment I would be allowed to fully live as a coach rather than, okay, I am coaching my teams, I'm coaching the seller that I have sell on internet in Cameroon, but I also have to report to Paris, sales, profits, management, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I strategized a little bit. I hired the coach myself because even as a coach, you need to be coached sometime. And um, that made me realize that, uh, that made me realize what I was, what was my area of genius. And it allowed me to be connected to an opportunity at Stanford University. So they have this program that is called Stanford, uh, in, uh, Stanford Initiative for Innovation in Developing Economies. Um, Stanford seat and I was able to be hired as a coach and facilitators to help SME leader in West and Central Africa to scale up their business using innovation. So that was a beautiful transition from being a country manager in a company that were using e-commerce to empower small entrepreneurs to sell online and make more money to becoming like not a business manager, but a full-time coach, helping other entrepreneurs to do the same, but not only with internet, but with innovation in general and make a social impact. So it was super exciting. Uh, I was flew to Stanford Palo Alto to, for a week to be trained uh, as a coach on the campus, which was exciting. It was the third time for me to visit Stanford. I've always dreamed to 
study there, but I couldn't afford it, obviously. Uh, so for me, it was a good uh, full circle moment, as Oprah would say, you know, uh, to be part of the Stanford family, not as a student, but as a coach at that time, and be able to relocate to a city that I love, Accra, Ghana, uh, for that role that implied a lot of uh, travel. So from 2017 to 2018, I was able to travel all across Africa, uh, working with entrepreneurs here and there, making things happen, scale up their business, making more impact, which was super exciting. Uh, to end of 2018, I was reached out by the UN uh, telling me about a project called e Trade for Women, which was main, uh, meant to help women uh, running digital businesses to get their voice heard by policymakers, but also make a greater impact. And that's how I relocated to Geneva in April uh, last year to run that project. Uh, that being said, because I always have like two sides of the story, I was also, um, after leaving uh, Jumia, I also started my uh, Black Roses Mentors. That was the official start of Black Roses Mentor, coaching mid-career women from Africa and Black diaspora to, attract the opportunities they want um, and uh, get more visibility and impact through uh, while doing the work they love in order to break the narrative uh, around the fact that you need to work twice as hard as other people as a black woman to get half of whatever they have. It was about being more strategic, being more creative in order to bring a little bit of magic in your career and get the opportunities you deserve. So uh, last uh, August, I, um, I, uh, I left the, the, the position at the UN to focus on Black Roses Mentor and other freelancers opportunities. But I was a bit frustrated, especially coming out of the lockdown and the Black Lives Matter uh, crisis during the lockdown made me realize that I, was, I wasn't honoring, fully honoring my calling when it came to what really passioned me. And the only way for, for that to happen was to create space in my life to, to for more impact. So that's how I went back full force, reinvesting again in Black Roses Mentor, making calls with clients and getting things back on track basically. So here I am. And Candice, how many lives have you lived to do all of that? Because you didn't even tap into, you know, you playing basketball, while getting your MBA, who does that? You you know who who, who plays basketball when it, during their MBA? I mean, if she right now says, actually, I'm going back to playing professional basketball in you know Sweden next week, we would not be shocked. But let, let's and, you, and let's break down. You had said something, and I do not want people to miss this because with all that success and the, those things that many people, I mean, they would give their right arm for, they would hurt somebody else. You actually talked about, you know, an abusive relationship that, that you were in. So, you know, people only see the glitter online and the fact that you, you open that up. I just want to kind of tap into how can someone so beautiful, so bright, um, get caught up in that? And what are some signs for others to see? Because many African women, and I don't mean to knock, you know, men from the continent, but many African women say, not African men, they're too controlling. Mm -hmm. and they're too controlling. And I, and I say a lot of men can be controlling. We have to pick them um, wisely. And I happen to be, I say we, because 
on the side, I'm a date doctor for a couple's married. So that, so I want you to get into like, how does that happen with somebody who has so much going on and that abuse? Cause it could be physical and it could be mental. Absolutely. So uh, it was definitely uh, mental, definitely verbal, but also very physical. Um, and it's very simple, fairly simple. Um, I was, it goes back to self-worth, childhood trauma, and your, your standards to begin with. So I went through a series of death in my family, which made me fearful and insecure. And that person that I already know, but not in a romantic way, present itself himself as a savior. And that's actually what I was looking in my mind because I was like, my family is falling apart. Everybody's dying. I need a family. I need someone to come and save me. I don't know how to process it. And it was there at the right time. And it was smart enough to realize that, oh, this is the window where if I play my cards well, I can enter in this girl's life. So when you are that trouble, you don't see the red flags. Uh, you just see someone distracting you from your pain. And uh, turns out at the time, I was so young. I was in my early 20s. I was in many ways still a baby, I have to say. And um, I basically start very slowly. And because the person was your savior and very charming and all that, you discarded, you're like, okay, maybe I'm gonna love them to sanity. Uh, maybe I have to be patient. Maybe I need to change this and that. And ultimately you realize that, okay, this is bigger than myself. And this is, not, this is not going to work. And when I realized that first, the person was pretended to be supportive and ultimately tried to, you know, cover my potential and prevent me to, to go back to school. I actually wanted to go back to school in Abidjan. I, it happened when I was at Ab in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, prevented me to go back to school in Abidjan. I was like, oh, this guy doesn't want my progress. This guy doesn't want my success. That's, that's weird. And then the physical violence and threatened me with, with, with threatening, threatening my life, literally. I was like, well, I, I don't want to die <laughs> and I want to become the best version of myself. But I'm very grateful for that relationship because there was a Candice before and after that. Like the Candice people see today is a direct product of that situation that lasted three years. For, for three years, I was living in the same house. Um, someone that half of the time I was hating or fearful of. So um, yeah, that relationship allowed me to become a great crisis management, uh, to become better at crisis management, um, to become uh, like very resourceful, uh, think on my feet, like, okay, so uh, it's not in the house. I had to do this. I, I need to prepare my visa application to go back to France. And he doesn't need to know because if he knows that it's going to hurt me. Da, 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 da. So I became street smart because of that relationship. Before that, I was book smart and a bit naive and passive. So um, yeah, to, just to, to, to answer your question in a shorter form, you get there because you're vulnerable, because also what you have, I have experienced or witnessed as a child makes you think it's okay-ish and to look for a savior outside of yourself. And uh, the thing is we all have the resources to get out of this situation. We just need to have the courage to give away some, to, to give up something. Uh, that guy had a lot of power and some money. So I didn't have to worry about anything financially. 
And some people will compromise for that. Some people will be like, you know what, I'm going to hold on to the, the money and hope that it doesn't kill me or hurt my children, or if you have children with that kind of person. Uh, in my case, I decided that I was ready to go back to school and not have money and struggle in order to have on the long term a life of my, of my own, resources of my own in order to be my, my own person. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I thank you for sharing that. It, it makes me think of we need a platform where women and, and, and men can yeah. put um, who these characters are, because I, I'm such a um, such a fighter coming from mm -hmm. Oakland, California, where I hate to hear these stories. I, 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 I love to get the names and get in the ring with this 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 gentleman, because I've heard personally so many stories and I've worked in mental health and worked on and supervised psych wards programs. And I hear a lot of times um, African women especially say they can't get like even a promotion because their husbands, you know, you're going to make more money than me, which is such ludicrous that it's for the household, you know, and the, the children. And so that insecurities, if, if you're an insecure man, you really got to go get some help, some therapy, because that that is crazy. Now, you, you said something else too with Jumia. You mentioned Jumia. What you did not say is, I mean, I, when I heard about you and read about you, you, you helped bring Jumia to Cameroon. I mean, you transformed, and I'm, I'm a stockholder in Jumia, even though times are a little rough right now. But- mm -hmm. You know, um, talk about what you where you think Jumia is going because you know Amazon is killing it right now, and they're yeah. in Africa now, and there's mm -hmm. ways of getting Amazon in Africa, and in but Jumia, you know, used to be something that was the Amazon of Africa, but it's where do you think is it's going? It's what do they need to change or can do better at? Mm. What, yeah, um, I have to say that. Um, where Jumia is going to, I, I don't know if you heard the news, but recently they were talking about how they are, they are opening their logistics uh, services to third parties. One of the, one of the <laughs> heaviest costs in Jumio's operation is the cost of delivering packages to one point, to, to one place to another, because postal services in Sub-Saharan Africa are not very optimized for e-commerce at this point. Uh, which would have been the most cost-effective uh, solution if it was, unfortunately. So Jumia had to build a whole logistics system that works for the demand of e-commerce from the ground up. And recently they announced that they are going to open it to businesses, meaning that if I, let's say, I am a jewelry maker doing jewelry in my home, instead of trying to call clients and have someone taking a taxi to go and deliver it, I can use Jumia as a service. So in that sense, I have the feeling that it's a good thing for the for e-commerce in general, not specifically Jumia and the African entrepreneurs who will not, who will have the opportunity to ship their product more efficiently. Um, but where is it it's going? It's hard to say. Uh, I left the company in 2017. That's already al almost three years ago and things move very fast in that company. The thing that I think in some countries um, made it difficult for, for, for Jumia to tap into its full potential, in my humble opinion, as a friendly Jumia alumni, is corporate culture. 
um, you cannot run such a demanding fast-paced business without being careful about who you hire in leadership roles, their leadership practice on the ground, their intention setting up a business in the country, their intention in building a team and managing a team of human beings. Um, sustainability for me is super important. Being mindful of contributing to the development of the environment you are setting up an innovative business is it's super important and i'm not sure it was always the priority of all the people in local that were hired in local leadership um, but there is more to to the story than than that there is also intention because at the end of the day um Jumia comes from Rocket Internet, right? Um, Rocket Internet, which is this gigantic venture builder um, who has been doing great creating and selling <laughs> copycats all around the world. That's, that, that's, that's not a secret. Uh, so sometimes it's difficult on a continent that is as complex as Africa with lack of infrastructures and, and talent and limited pool of talents adapted to this industry. Um, to copy paste the same method with the agenda of selling your business afterwards. I have the feeling that Africa at this stage is the kind of place where you build, you build with patience and with sustainability in mind, you know. So I can only, I can, at this stage I can only assume, but I have the feeling that there is still a good chance for Jomia to do great if they, there is a better care that goes into the corporate culture, the intention long-term. And also we are in, unfortunately, in a, in, a, in a pandemic season where most people, people are more mindful uh, with the social distancing and all those kind of things and might be more inclined to use e-commerce instead of going to the market to buy their products. So it's a wonderful opportunities. And also because at times you will have lockdowns or, uh, times where you will have to shut your business early, it will also be a great incentive for businesses to start, you know, feeding into that whole uh, whole business model. So, well, you you said it, you, you said it, you know, a lot of things nicely. What I've heard, and I've had other guests on here from other countries of Jumia, they need to have more local culture is what I've heard. I, you know, you can't bring in, I've lived in Seattle, I'm new to Florida right here, but you know, the Seattle culture is so cold. It's mm -hmm. so, we're not even gonna say good morning to each other in certain companies and departments, but then expect our, I've told a president of a company this cause he asked and, and I work for them. And he said, what do you think we could do? I said, first we could start off with saying good morning. How can you yes. expect these people in the marketing department to engage with, you know, their customers or potential customers, and they don't even talk to each other. They don't even go to lunch to each other. If person mm -hmm. is five minutes late, you're, mm -hmm. you're talking, you know, and in Cameroon, that's not gonna work. In most of Africa, that's not gonna work. When I'm eating my Aru, Aquan, Agusi, whatever I'm eating, yeah. let it digest. So are they trying to bring that Western like culture so much where people feel alienated and, and the talented people like yourself can say, I can go other places. I don't have to put up with this. Oh, that's, that, that, that definitely happened in various locations in the sense that, but um, it's less a matter of, um, how can I put it uh, relevantly? Basically, 
it's a matter of personal values because we have had, I have witnessed <laughs> management from all origins and uh, despicable practice and ethics were not exclusive, were not the exclusivity of the Westerners, I have to say. Sometimes what I've, I've witnessed is that some West, some managers that were of Western origin were absolutely less sensitive and careful about their actions because they knew that, well, I'll be gone in six months or I'll be gone in 12 months, so I don't give a really uh, give, a, you know, yeah. and, uh, but, uh, but I'm going to have a nice line on my resume and it's going to help me for the, the, the next chapter in my career. But I've also seen African manager, that was more rare, but it happened. African manager having that feeling of, oh, now I'm the, the king of this small village and I'll be able to hit and harass my female employees. I'll be able to have some financial malpractice to put money in my pocket and bribe and do all those kind of things. But it goes down to the corporate culture as a headquarter, as a top manager, how what are your hiring practice? What are your management practice? What do you really value in order for you to tolerate those kind of character, whatever their origins are, to go and start a business? And how do you value the people who care about the people and the culture that are already within the company? That is a, that is a good question, but it's, it's never easy, especially if your focus is on grow, 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 because you have so-and-so that, whatever deadline or whatever the agenda is, it's in your mind. I also think it, go, it goes down to diversity, not only ethnic diversity, locally relevant management, but also gender diversity. Because from what I observed, <laughs> countries where you had women in charge that were empowered to properly manage their team didn't have the same challenges as uh, entities where it was more male driven. And the reality is that they, they, they are trying to do a better job at it and I totally respect that. But yeah, diversity, mindfulness, sustainability, and some level of sincerity as well. I mean, ultimately, you know, what? whatever you are saying to the media, it has to align with your now, core now, intentions. I don't, I don't get why, you know, governments, especially here in America, why companies worldwide don't make sure that they have women in power and just they keep hearing diversity and adversity. It's not a, you know, a, a trophy hire. It's mm -hmm. that we need diversity because we need that energy, um, you know, the opposite energy and that, you know, things can be different and we should want to mix things up. And we try to do that in our own companies here, but I don't get it. But you have been able to have a lot of, you know, positions and be able to see that. Um, have you had to, you know, deal with the sexual harassment or the second guessing just because maybe because you're young, maybe because you're a woman, maybe because you're black? And how have you, you know, how do you handle that? Because I can tell you, there's a generation that they're not going to put up with that anymore. It's going to be women who they know how to fight. Like my girls who, you know, pre-COVID did three days of jujitsu. They know how they're, you know, there's going to be women who are just the full package and can really compete with men in every which way. So how did you deal with that? Or how do you still deal with it? Oh, I've had, I've had it all. The, the black, the, the black thing, the woman thing, the, the, the young thing as well. Um, 
the black thing was the hardest to overcome. Like basically um, people don't have to be straight up racist and saying racial slurs in your face to limit your potential. You would just realize at some point that, oh, this guy is the same nationality, same <laughs> ethnicity as uh, top management, is less experienced, has wor worse performances, smaller business to manage but it's earning 50% more than I do with my great result, complex business and, and, and all that. I, all, I have to prove that I'm not an angry black woman because people keep spreading the rumor that I am when I'm just asserting what is right and what is not. Uh, and the thing is, I'm not a fighter, I'm a winner in the sense that I truly believe in not staying where you are merely tolerated, but go where you are celebrated. Um, so if I real, I do the, the most that I can do, I give as much as I can, especially to the teams and end users. But if I feel that management wise, my back is not supported and my loyalty and my results are not rewarded with the value I think I deserve, the respect I, I think I deserve, all the protection I think I deserve, I'm very good at <laughs> I'm very good at sharing the work I do, sharing how much I care in order to for people and other organizations to be interested in collaborating with me. And I've always been lucky that when I started thinking about transitioning to something else, a new opportunity literally came knocking on my door and I could move on and do a better impact in, a, in, a, in an organization that seems to fit more my next uh, my next goals. But thankfully, what I always try to do at any position that I am is really to empower the people around me, especially if I have a team in charge, like in Cameroon, most of many of my staff members, especially those that I promoted in middle management roles now are international expert in their field, whether it's finance operation related to e-commerce, customer service related to e-commerce, uh, sales or seller management related to e-commerce or tech, whatever you name it, like most of my middle managers and some even former interns that were promoted are now like renowned experts and they are flew they, they, they are sent all across the continent to share their expertise and it's something I'm very proud of. And even if, for example, in the case of, of Jumia, it wasn't a lifetime story, a, life, a lifelong story, I would say. I'm happy that I was able to plant the seed of greatness in other human beings that will be able to change the African corporate landscape, the e-commerce landscape, or whatever landscape they end up being in. So, so being a consultant and being able to, you know, jump all around the world, how, and I want, this is a teaching moment for, for many, because, you know, it, sometimes, it's hard, especially if you're young, you're, you're, you're bright. Um, they can't measure your intelligence, right? And a lot of it is just things that you learn around the way, not necessarily what you learned in school and even in your soft skills that you're mm -hmm. good with people. That's a very important thing that it's, it's, it can be difficult to teach to some people. But how do you measure what you get paid? You know, is it on a, do you say, this is my price, that's it? Because as an entrepreneur, you have to think about the now, 
the future, how this price today sets you up for tomorrow, but also can I then take that money invested in anything else? So in my later years, I can be retired. Unlike some of these old, you know, politicians, I'm not going to say any in any countries that should, you know, really just relax and have, enjoy, you know, grandchildren and whatnot. So how do you deal with that? Because so many consultants I've seen getting lowballed and they'll just take almost whatever is offered. Yeah. Oh, that is a wonderful question that you're asking. And I totally, I, like, I'm very much not in the business of working my A off my entire life. Like, I'm very much looking forward to that time that during which I'll be able to chill to a speaking engagement here and there because I like it and not necessarily because I need money. Uh, that being said, uh, how do I set up my price? Basically, the good thing with having <laughs> uh, like a corporate track record, I always update what my, I would say, hourly rate is based on how much I've been paid in the past, whether it's a corporate world or working with corporation. Like I always update it. It helps me deal with my own imposter syndrome because as a woman, black African immigrant, you always feel like, no, I need to work super hard to be accepted and take whatever is offered. That's my natural response. Thank God, because of my experience, I can hold on to some objective that are like, hey, you have worked for this brand, you have worked for this corporation, you have been paid this, and on top of that, you have a unique experience that is perfectly tailored for this mission. Just present your price and negotiate. So that's one thing I, I do. Uh, uh, that's one pricing strategy I do. The other pricing strategy that I do is that, thank God, because I have worked internationally and I get along well with like-minded people, generally women, men, professionals, smart, open-minded, mindful, conscious, etc. Uh, I use my network to know what's the trend out there. Like, oh, I'm going to make a mission with this institution and I've never worked with that type of institution in the past. So I don't want to put a too higher price that discard me uh, from the process, but I don't want to put a lower price because otherwise it would give them a sense of my own value. So I call friends like, hey, you know, you, you are being a consultant yourself or you're a lawyer or you are a service person and you have working at the, at, at the border of the consulting space. Um, how much, how, what is the range for a consultant that have 10 years plus of experience this day? And I do a little bit of brainstorm. So when I'm asked for quotes, I come with something that is relevant to the industry. So on the one hand, you need to do the exercise of deciding this is going to be my hourly rate based on what I've done in the past and based on what, of what I think I bring to the table. And on the other hand, you also have to keep an eye on what's going on in your industry to be able to state the price, those price with, um, with confidence. But this consulting coaching life is for me just the beginning of what I hope is a beautiful legacy. Uh, so I'm still relatively young, so I still have a little bit of energy, but I want to be able to use these years to put up systems that will rather quickly allow me to shift to a semi-passive income kind of strategy and be able to focus on, you know, just doing good and enjoying my family, my home or whatever I have at that time. Okay. And I, this is a very um, Western thing, I'm going to say, and this has no, um, I'm not saying 
Candace is getting this, but I know that there are contracts out there because we deal with government contracting and different things. And, you know, you could look at the UN, there's contracts out there for $90,000 for, you know, three months, six months of work, depending on your specialty. So for those of you who say, what type of, you know, contracts are we looking at? Go do your research and look at the type of contracts because there's contracts some of y'all would say i could retire on but you you really can't retire on because what if that's your last check and what are you going to do with it um no matter you know what that check looks like money is just the scoreboard you you know you hit it okay boom um with that and you're a very creative person you know in your consulting do you ever like see yourself having courses? I know you have the black roses, but have like a course online that people around the world can, and you can train them how you did it because you got so many degrees and, and things, but you don't necessarily need those. I, I think they help form who you were, but you didn't necessarily need the, all those degrees. So is there any like fast track of this is how you might be able to get to where I'm at faster type of course. And of course a book, we'll talk about that. Oh, wow, 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 wow. You are hitting me in all places. So um, starting by the course, actually before uh, the, the in- initial intention of Black Roses Mentors was to use coaching and public speaking as a marketing tool to attract people to courses. But I have to confess that uh, I didn't figure out the proper sales strategy for the courses to take off because there are so many things and so many areas where I have those formula that allow people to fast track their way to success. Like whatever I learned during those 10 years of side hustling all around the world, uh, I'm very eager to share it with people. I, I just I, I, I just need to figure out the proper way to make it appealing and make it, and make it work, actually, <laughs> that will save me some, some time. So it's still, on my, uh, it's still on my to-do list. It's just that as an entrepreneur, you tend to spend more time on what brings you easier income. And these days, <laughs> institution asking for like consulting mission seems to be less of a but that's a very short-term strategy, I have to say. So the courses are still on, on, on my list, you know. I have so many things about like how to build up your personal brand to attract opportunity rather than chase them because that's what I do. I'm not a job hunter per se. I'm a job attractor, whether it's as an entrepreneur or as, as a corporate person as I used to be. Uh, you have also the speaking the speaking aspects of it like people always ask me oh how do you get to go get all those speaking engagement etc etc i also help people not only to attract speaking engagement but also to do impactful things in this. Like, there are so many facets to career transformation that i help people to tackle and uh the course is always it, it's on my list uh it's just that i don't have a team big enough to make that happen as fast as i would love to but uh and yeah, and the book, I think, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a, the same story. There are so many things that I would like to put out there for, for people to be able to uh, own it and get some inspiration to make magic happen in their own lives. So it's still, I'm still brain, not brainstorming that, but I, I think I'm in a space where I want to get more help to scale up my business, not just for, not, not just for the, 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 the sake of scaling it, up, but in order to have more space to do that deep work of 
putting things into writings. And it can be as diversified as how I learned that working harder than others is not the gateway to happiness and success, ultimately, because the happiest thing that has happened in my professional life were not the consequence of me working harder than the others. When I was working harder than the others, I was getting more work, not more recognition or more success, basically. So sharing that, sharing how to escape an abusive situation, whether it's an abusive relationship or an abusive professional professional uh, situation by strategizing and and yeah, making things happen. So. Well, yeah, de- definitely working harder, um, you know, for, for most of us, you don't need to work harder, but we're doing things that are passionate. And so when you're passionate about it, I, I, say, I tell people this, I say, I, I got drunk in it. So if yes. I can get drunk in your project, kind of like if you guys, you know, who are in Yawunde or Sime Young all the way to Germany, when you're drunk on the thing, if I can get drunk like you in that, Oh, it's for me. I'm going to finish it quicker than anybody else ready to go. And, you know, we talk about, you know, books and are there any like hidden talents that you have? Like, can we see who like Dr. and Kang Stevens, who's been a former guest and somebody that I like to reach out to in Cameroon? Could we ever see maybe you do um, a movie? maybe a documentary on Black Roses, on your life, uh, you know, maybe a music video. Uh, do you have any hidden talents in music? Oh, I, I would be a great DJ, I have to say, because I have all like a database of, of songs of all types from different areas, and I'm able to connect a situation, like a mood to a song rather instantly. But the only, the only platform on which I'm using right now is my Instagram stories. Like people who follow my Instagram stories always send me DMs like, oh my God, your music is the bomb. I was like, yeah, I know. So, but uh, besides that, uh, talking about hidden talent, it's not a hidden talent as much as it's, it's a hidden calling that seemingly doesn't have a lot to do with everything I do on the public side. I've been, because of that uh, abusive situation, I start deep diving into psychology, personal development, spirituality. Uh, I've done that for, yeah, probably what, 12 12 years plus now. And uh, the result of it is that I am working with a friend of mine on a podcast called Free Your People. Basically, it's about um, I mean, we are recording episodes right now. We want to launch it in early 2021. Um, it's basically about uh, intergenerational trauma, um, mental health in the African and Black community all around the world as a way to get closer to your purpose. Because what we realize is that many of us have unresolved issue, uh, whether they are coming from uh, childhood, genetics, whatever you, you, you name it. And it shows up in our personal relationship or lack thereof in our job, getting triggered by a boss or being a slacker or having addiction or <laughs> not being a great, the great parent you needed to because of things that you are not even aware of. And for the moment, that space, whether we acknowledge it or, acknowledge it or not, in the black community, at least in Africa, it's trusted by pastors and witch doctors, which might help, but ultimately um, we want to empower people to get the most of their life and their potential by tackling those demons with knowledge, basically. And if you want, you can go ahead and go and see a therapist if you can afford to. But what we have come to realize is that, oh, if you actually become more self-aware, know that what you are feeling 
is a consequence of something that has words and that has solution to, to that have already had and that there are already solutions in place, you'll be able to get people to have the life they deserve, not per, and not to perpetrate um, yeah, intergenerational trauma or as we like to call it curses. And yeah, basically, so that's one hidden aspect that is very close to my heart because it's also very healing <laughs> for me and the person that we are, we are with whom I am collaborating on that. So yeah, that's oh. one. Well, if there's no link yet, I would love when it goes, you know, when you're ready and make sure you share that with me. Um, if you don't, I'll, I'll bother you because I'll say, hey, what happened to the podcast? And, you know, Absolutely. I'm like, you're, you're a winner. So I, I don't want to hear any excuses of, oh, this happened. No, no. What happened to the podcast? Because podcasting like this can, you know, get that message out, but it also pays, you know, if you go on platforms like anchor.fm and then they give it to every other platform out there and mm. they track that for you and we love it, so, you know, but I, I have to ask you what with Black Roses, that seems to be your community give back. I ask everyone, what is your community give back in the uh, future? What are you doing now? But I already know it's Black Roses. And you can say as many, you know, community give backs that you're doing, but I need you to talk about Black Roses, who that's for, how people can connect, not just to get mentored, but if they would like to make a difference, become a mentor or a sponsor. Absolutely. So Black Roses Mentors was basically uh, my way to help women like me, uh, smart, driven Black women who does, did not necessarily get whether it's a recognition they got from their work or the fulfillment they wanted from their work, but who, does, who do not know how to start. All they know is to work, but they don't necessarily know to strategize or position themselves in a place where they can receive more value and make more impact. Um, and the, the vision behind Black Roses Mentors actually was to be able not only to serve clients that could afford those services, but also to get, for example, women to other women within the Black community who have made it in such or such position to come and share their knowledge with other women in need. It will, all, the goal was also to get some like bigger scale mentoring program targeting young black women from different communities around the world, not just Africa. Um, however, that takes scale and money. So it's basically like I'm trying to scale it up for that to happen. Uh, basically, uh, also the, 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 the one thing that I, I, I am looking forward to is to get more companies to reach out because of the Black Lives Matter movement, more co corporations have been aware that not everybody in the corporate space is given the same chances and people need support, whether it's outside of corporation to get jobs or inside the corporate jobs to be able to bring more value to themselves and their companies. So I've got the chance to work uh, with, for example, a company, uh, a famous company, a cosmetic company who wanted to empower uh, African women in science. And I was blessed to train a team of 25 women in science with PhDs and all that. I would like to keep doing those things because instead of working with clients one-on-one, -on -one, I can work with a group of people, but also with the paycheck, it allows me to 
keep building the infrastructure for Black Roses mentors to work with more women as mentors or at, as, as mentees. The easiest way to uh, reach out to me ultimately is my LinkedIn profile, which is open for messages. Uh, or if you're a millennial and you don't really care about LinkedIn, my DMs on Instagram <laughs> are also... Are also uh, what is your Instagram? Tell them the Instagram. Uh, no, all, all in one word, basically. It's, but if you type my first name, Candice, and my family name, Kot, N-K-O-T-H, in any platform, you're going to find me. I don't have like nicknames, 111, or it's very simple. So very searchable. Awesome. And she said DMs were welcome. So that's, oh, yeah. you know, that's, hey, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that's a beautiful thing. And so with you, you know, being a consultant and, and doing that, and that's a great give back, where do you see like the ultimate goal? What would just make you say, you know what, this is what I've been working for this long? I have to say it's super, uh, what I'm going to say is super with some maybe a little bit cocky, which is not really my personality. But uh, every single year when I update my vision board, there are two women that never miss to be there. It's Oprah and Michelle Obama. And basically what I want to, what I want to be able to, to build is to extend the work that Oprah Winfrey has been doing, helping people to own the narrative, empower themselves through wisdom and knowledge. So using Black Roses mentors and what we are doing also with the mental health uh, and trauma podcasts to give back the power to people of Black African descent, to build the companies or the career that they want to build, to heal and achieve their greater purpose instead of self-sabotaging themselves and basically create create people that are more aligned with their potential and happier to create beautiful black families and to create better societies and, and better communities ultimately and, uh, and change the world. So it might be a platform that is as big as like, <laughs> I don't know, like content creation, TV channel, book, book editing, uh, book publishing, sorry, uh, radio show, you name it, but something where black and African people can can use as a tool to get hope, get knowledge, get, get information to achieve their best potential instead of relying on what your uncle from your village is saying, which might have some level of wisdom, but your uncle from the village cannot have an updated wisdom to the challenges of today. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the vision. Well, with saying that, I think about um, in Cameroon, and I've only, I, when I was there last, it was not, the company wasn't there, but it's a Y-Bop and they have a song, Calling My Driver, ah, you know that song? I don't. It, it, they have the orange taxi cabs, whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. If I can, if I can play it, can someone play that? Can you hear that? I love that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, and so in the video, they, Y-Bop, uh, W-Y, what is it, B-A-P, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I believe, if not, um, hold on, somebody will correct me, W-Y-B-A-P, that's it, and the, the orange taxi cabs. I haven't met a Cameroonian yet who has seen them or taken them. You see the video, and we know all music videos are real, but it's a real company because I've contacted the owner who's in France. 
but you haven't seen it either. No. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, well, they're trying for, for Cameroon. Um, you know, I, I think Cameroon is such a, um, underrated place when I think about tourists from the West, they don't come check it out. And it's one of those places in English or in French, of course, your French will help you more, but you know, every, um, English speaking, uh, person from the South, who has a PhD is a taxi cab driver in Yaounde. So you'll be able to get around because they'll speak English to you folks. And that is, you know, sarcasm if, if you didn't catch it, because why is a PhD driving a taxi cab in such a beautiful country? But that's a topic for another day. What do you think Cameroon needs? Um, you know, what businesses, what, what can we do to make an impact, to make it be like a Ghana where people want to run to there and, and give, you know, billions of dollars of their money to visit? I think that it, it might sound counterintuitive, but it's, uh, I think the country may need education and enlightenment in the sense that we need to make whatever is happening in the English speaking space more compelling to the French speaking people. Um, because I'm, I'm natively a French speaker. But uh, because English has always been aspirational to me, I, I learned it fairly quickly. But I have the feeling that we are trapped in the Francophone, French mentality where we see the world from, and I'm talking more specifically about the dominant Francophone side of the country, where we see the, the world from a very French lens, like most of the content and the laws and the knowledge that we receive comes from France in one shape or form. Where on the Anglophone side, they receive content from the UK, from the state, from the Middle East, from Asia, from South Africa, and they are more open-minded. They have access to more knowledge. And, and so it makes it easier to navigate life in the Anglophone side of Cameroon, at least where there were no civil war over there, than it is uh, on the Francophone side because people tend to be a little bit arrogant, like the French, <laughs> a little bit <laughs> narrow-minded, and very, very inefficient, but giving you very long sentences with big and complicated words that bring zero value to the business. <laughs> so, <Yes>. so, <laughs> so I, my, my feeling is that we need to do a better job into getting the dominant French-speaking side of Cameroon to be open to the world and get out of their, 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 their own ways because we have the illusion that because we are in our tiny triangle that was once <laughs> the most developed country in Central Africa, which is still the poorest region in the world, but yeah, uh, we were the first over there and now not that much, I believe. However, knowledge and enlightenment, because one thing that I find unfortunate when I go back to Cameroon is that um, even as a Cameroonian from the airport I feel attacked <laughs> by people's attitude by the way things are set up and generally when I land there I'm coming from another African country that is not you know overly more like where people don't have two brains over there but you see the difference in services in people's attitude and you are frustrated because the Cameroon has, Cameroon has so much potential, touristically, human brains and all that. But because we are trapped into our own certainty and mindset, 
it makes it unattractive. I do believe that once we open our mind to the world and we humble ourselves because of that openness, we'll be able to leverage all the magic and the potential in the country. So wisdom, enlightenment, and English, more English, basically. Okay, well, what we know is a change. We have to see a change in the next decade, and it's just going to open things up and, you know, the brain drain that happens. But when you look at a place like Bastos, you can mm -hmm. see, like, okay, folks who have come back and built up a neighborhood, things can be very organized, very mm -hmm. just, you know, clean. Mm -hmm. And then you can go into certain neighborhoods and say, why can't this be here? And it starts with the people. And we see the same thing in the States when you are in the hood. You know, people, if you're going to throw your trash in New York City, New York used to be just, I mean, not that it's the cleanest city right now, but it used to be even more disgusting. Because I remember going back when, you know, most of you were in diapers or not even born. And it was just one of those like, okay the different boroughs, depending on where you go, you know, it can be a beautiful place. But I, I could go on and on with Candace. And you guys, I might off air, but I don't want to give a game overload. She told you, follow her on LinkedIn. Follow her on Instagram. We will have links in the description box. Candace, I thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This is probably the most excited podcast I've been on so far. I, I felt welcome. I felt heard. And, and seen and I absolutely love your energy. Thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate you. You guys like, share, subscribe. Be blessed. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.